Let us pray. God, you are indeed a mighty fortress. And if we in our strength confide our striving, we'll be losing. That's why we need you right now, O Lord, through your Spirit to guide us as we open your word. Speak to us. And may the power of darkness be defeated through the light of your word. Show us today, especially as we come to commune with you spiritually through the elements of the bread and the juice, Lord, that we will see you as our bread of life, giving us life. Be with my words in this hour. We pray you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all know how it feels to be hungry. We all know that God created your body to run on food. We feel the hunger. It leads us to recognize the need for food. And bread is the most essential food we could eat. I was reminded by some of you about a sermon I gave you two Sundays ago on the feeding of the 5,000. The reason why God chose bread is because it's the most essential food you could eat. My wife just learned how to make homemade bread. And I know some of you are on a no-carb diet, but this still applies. That bread brings complete satisfaction of our hunger. But is that so? Amy Simpson was telling a story of the blessed of the unsatisfied. How the unsatisfied can be blessed. Why? Amy Simpson, for most of her life and childhood, her family was living in poverty, depending on food pantries for her bread. Public assistance and expired food. Her mother, she tells, was ill. And Amy and her siblings had a lot of more responsibility than most children at their age for the family. So she grew up. She was able to get out of poverty, get a college education, get a good job and a happy family. And she thought that all of this would satisfy her. But she wasn't. She, conf- she was confronted with the truth that we are not made to be satisfied with anything from this fallen and broken world. Even good things. We always hunger for more, don't we? And this hunger is what should push us to set the things in the proper place and set our hope in the eternal bread of life that comes from Jesus Christ. He provides that as He gives us these famous words in our text. John 6, 22-59 I am the bread of life. If you've been with us in the past weeks, we are continuing the public ministry of Jesus. The growth of miracles, but also the growth of rejection that chapter 5 has started, the rejection of Jesus. And this chapter and next Sunday actually leads to Jesus ending in losing his crown. Okay? What we will see in North America is the failed ministry of Jesus because he loses all of this crowd that was going after him. It's not a failure in the eyes of Jesus. That, that, that is even all the way to, chap, to chapter 12. There is this rejection and belief. And Jesus is giving miracle after miracle. We are halfway through the seven miracles that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John. He had feed, fed the 5,000 people, remember, with bread. Now he's back to Capernaum. And there's now a lengthy sermon 
by Jesus focus on the same theme of bread. That He is that bread, and that bread means life. That double meaning that John gives us throughout the gospel continues. That now from the miracle of the 5,000, we go to the message to this crowd. So bear with me because we got a lot of verses to cover today. Uh, last time we were slowing down with few verses, but now we must. And we'll do this from time to time. As we go through John, we ask to push the accelerator. We must see all these verses together, to, which is, by the way, very providential because today we are celebrating the Lord's Supper. And this indeed is a Lord's Supper sermon we could see. That we feed on Jesus as our true bread. But this message comes on the heel again of the 5,000. Jesus, like Moses, remember, manna from heaven. But he also is that bread that never perishes. He gives us true everlasting life. And therefore he is greater than Moses. And John is very different than all the gospel. He zooms in this sermon. The entire elaborate discourse of Jesus. To clarify to the crowds. That there's something more important than a miracle of multiplying physical bread. That Jesus is the life of the world. And this I am the bread of life is the first of seven I am statements from Jesus in the whole Gospel of John. Seven times Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the vine, the true vine. But to understand how controversial these I am are, we will frame them in the Old Testament divine context of I am who I am. John, uh, Exodus 3. That Jesus is claiming through this 7 I am to be God again. So to give us some context of these verses, verse 22 to 25, we have the crowds. They were on the other side in Bethsaida, you remember. And they witnessed the face to face the miracle of bread from heaven. Okay? Now, they're puzzled. Jesus is back in Capernaum. And they'd say, how on earth did Jesus get here? Because they remember that he, there was only boat, one boat on Bethsaida. And they knew that Jesus was not with them. And Jesus had chased the disciple to go to Capernaum. But they don't know. The crowds don't know that Jesus came by walking on water. We saw that last time, remember? And another contextual comment is from the verse 59, the last verse of our text. 59 tells us that Jesus is preaching all these verses in a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, I've been to Capernaum years ago in, in, uh, in Israel. And you can still actually go today in the actual synagogue. The portico and the columns of that synagogue are still to be observed. And this is the, the town where the ministry of Jesus takes place. This is the town where Peter lives and he comes from that town. And, but also this is the town that has witnessed the ministry of Jesus and then gets cursed by Jesus to become a heap of ruin. So that you go today, Caper, uh, Tiberiad is a town still today. Capernaum is a heap of ruin. It's no longer a town. So Jesus left his hometown in Nazareth. We saw the increase of rejection and he goes to Capernaum. And... Here he gives us this message, this sermon. The word that comes in the text three times is, I am the bread of life. Bread from heaven. Man from heaven. Three times. And what is, the, what is, what is Jesus after in this, more, this, this long sermon? He's saying, 
I am the bread that gives eternal life. And so for us, we must swallow Jesus by faith. That's how you swallow this bread is by faith, trusting in Christ, trusting in His sacrifice. Otherwise, your unbelief, just like in the case of the crowds who are following Jesus for all the wrong reason, it will make you vomit that bread like the reprobates. Those who do not know Jesus, though they claim to follow Him. So I have four points there listed for you and a list of verses. The first thing we want to look in this bread is what are the ingredients of the bread? And that is scattered text. You have them on your text. In other words, Jesus is like bread in the sense that He gives life. That is the, the, the ingredient of the bread. However, there's a double dimension of this bread. The first is that He gives life. But also, it's a bread that leads to death. It's a bread, that, a bread that must be broken, as we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, through the sacrifice of Christ. Look at verse 33. Jesus describes there Himself as the bread of God. Now Leviticus and the Old Testament had a clear understanding that in the temple of God, there was this bread of the presence to, the, to be found in the most holy place of the temple. Okay? However, this, this bread, unlike that bread in the Holy's presence comes directly from God. In fact, the Old Testament speak of bread from heaven referring to manna. The manna in the desert that uh, Moses provides, that God provides through Moses. What are the ingredients of this bread? Is that He gives life to the world. To the entire world. Not just Jewish people. Which in our text are very much in unbelief, okay? But to the entire world. This is a sign that He is the Messiah. Just like Moses causes manna to come down so, so the Messiah provides bread from heaven but he is that bread verse 34 the, you remember the Samaritan woman oh give me always of this water right well the crowds make the same mistake here they think that Jesus is talking about physical bread just like the Samaritan woman thought give me physical water no the point is the double meaning of 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 Jesus here that is a place I mean wouldn't it be nice you don't need to work for bread, daily bread anymore. That's, that bread is the reward for your daily labor. And however, Jesus is not talking about physical bread. Just like the parables that were meant to actually have this double meaning in the parable to blind the unbelievers. Here Jesus is telling them something and they fail to grasp it to show that they're blind. They're still spiritual blind. They don't understand. And it causes them further judgment because of their failure to grasp. The true meaning, I am the bread of life. That is the statement, verse 35 to verse 48. I am the bread of life. John Moore, the other gospel, speaks of this. We saw the image of uh, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Just like at the time of Moses. Now just like at the time of Moses, there was manna coming from heaven. Well, I am the bread of life. I am that unperishable manna from heaven. Bread, as we said, points to nourishment. Food that gives you life. That's the most essential thing that grants you to live. We need bread to survive daily. Our living existence comes from the bread. So Christ metaphorically is like a bread that gives us true life. It's a bread that is living. That has a benefit within that bread. which Because it leads to eternal life. It produces salvation the promise given there on our text 
is in verse 48 that those who eat this bread shall never hunger. Now, it doesn't mean that you will not have physical hunger from now on. But if you come to Christ, He satisfies, it rules out any unsatisfaction that you have. You are now never thirsting. Do you remember the words, the same word Jesus used to the Samaritan? I am living water. And if you drink of me, you shall never thirst. This is coming again. But think of it. The Samaritan woman believed Jesus. But here the, the crowd in the synagogue, these Jewish people, they're all puzzled and remaining unbelief. Suppose people of God, they don't receive the message by genuine faith in this bread. Look also at verse 50. Jesus gets more and more explicit. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If you eat of me, you will not die, but you will live forever. That is the promise of the gospel. That the ingredient of this bread is that the way you eat this bread is life-giving by trusting in Christ. That's why John Piper says this. The cost of food in the kingdom of God it starts with hunger for the bread of life. In other words, Jesus is to the soul what bread is to the body. That just like bread gives life, so Jesus gives life to you and me. But the first thing you need to do is to realize that you are hungry. We are all hungry for love. We are hungry for acceptance. Hungry for deliverance from brokenness in our family. Hungry because of the loss of a loved one. Hungry for the sinful patterns of behavior in and around us. But secondly, we must realize that Jesus alone can satisfy our hunger. Then more work, more money, more trucks, more gifts, more entertainment, more retirement, more of this, more of that. The result is actually less and less you get satisfied. All those things while good will come to their true light one day that you have been running after the wind. Let not the realization come too late for you. That nothing else short of the intimate fellowship that Jesus provides will be able to truly satisfy you. That if you feed on Christ, if you feed on His Word, your hunger is completely satisfied. This is what I told one of you as this week I gave a Bible. is that when you eat from the Word of God, you can experience untold lasting benefits. You're strengthened. You're refreshed. You're energized by that word. Your soul finds full satisfaction of all your need. All the things you need now and the things you need for eternity are secure to you with a single bite from Jesus' better heavenly food. If this is so, then this church should be characterized by people who live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That you hear the word of God. That is preached to you every Sunday. As well in a consistent daily quiet time. And you read your Bible. And you consult books. And listen to sound materials online. Podcasts, movies and music. Founded on the scripture. That you do so with thirst. With joy. You feed on that. Friends to feed on anything else. Is like going to junk food. That ultimately will lead you to starve. And to be sick. Spiritually starving. And we must teach our children to do the same. We share the Word of God with unbelieving friends. We, we have a conviction that this is what will give them true life. Because we know they're starving in their hunger. They're going in all the wrong places to feed on something that only the Word of God can give. Because if you don't feed the Word of God, you will starve just like you would without physical food. That's how essential God's Word is to the believer. Even whatever service we do for God, 
If we don't abide in the Word of God, in prayer we run out of gas. Friends, we need the Bible just like we need solid food every day. This is how essential it is. I want you to see that this is key. And may it be more of that among us. Even in our conversation with one another, in and outside the church, that we should focus more on the Bible and in that Word we find Christ. That is the life-giving aspect of this ingredient of the bread. But look at also the death-leading aspect of this ingredient. And there's scattered text over there. Yes, Jesus gives you life like the bread. But that bread, as this morning, must be broken. And how this it gets broken? Through the sacrifice of Christ. Okay? There is a little clarification Jesus gives in this sermon in verse 51. That sets the crowd of Jewish people in the synagogue off. Okay? This bread, here's the one ingredient that you don't like. This bread is my flesh. That turns them completely off. This is as shocking as, as, as you could ever imagine. He's saying that his body is that bread. Remember, the word became flesh in chapter 1 of John. And now that flesh must be sacrificed at the cross. But it, it does so, his body, for the life of the world again. We already addressed how to suggest seeing this word that the entire world is implying. Okay, so the entire world is going to get saved. No. We have the fourth point which will deal with our text in election. Will help us see that only those who are truly chosen by God are those who, for whom Christ, that, that sacrifice applies. Who really benefit from the bread of life. Not unbelievers. Just like here, the crowds are gathering more and more judgment as they come to this bread. And so since today we will do the Lord's Supper, I invite you. That you, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you abstain from these elements that are meant for the believer. Verse 53 in our text, Jesus answers the shock of the crowd and doubles down. He says, most assuredly, that, that there's no way around what, what I just said to you. That unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. That is the death-leading ingredient of this bread. The bread of life implies eating a bread that was broken through the death of Jesus on the cross. That if you want to feed on Christ as a true follower, you must embrace that sacrificial death for you. But also, there's a double dimension here, is that you embrace the cost of discipleship for yourself. That you follow and you now identify with that cross. And you take on a life of obedience, carrying your cross and following your Savior. Many... Commentators, let's do a break here. I've wondered with these strong words, are we talking about the Lord's Supper? And especially, you know, I grew up Catholic. They want to see the Mass everywhere. This is indeed a good, good day to have the Lord's Supper, a Lord's Supper sermon. However, we must give some clarification here, okay? Jesus is not saying that, fi that, that the bread that we will eat is actually physically the body of Christ, the flesh and blood, okay? That is not the point of this text. Also in light of the context of this sermon, because... The unbelieving crowds are the hearers of this sermon. And according to other scriptures, it is highly inappropriate that the Lord's Supper, which is not instituted at this point in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 11, we will read that later for the Lord's Supper, says this in 27, verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. That is for us this morning as we will do the Lord's Supper. But the, the symbolic element in eating it doesn't refer to the fact that now that bread becomes 
you know, Jesus' body is in heaven, okay? We are communing spiritually with Him, yes. But the, the, the point of this sermon of Jesus is that you personally receive, you appropriate Christ, His work, His death on the cross. That flesh and blood refers to the, the, the atonement of Christ, that God deals with your primary problem 2,000 years ago, and it's not repeated every time you take the Lord's Supper. It's once and for all, 2,000 years ago, sin that you have done broke your relationship with God. And that Jesus' death now restores that relationship. It appeases the wrath of God because of the honor of God that your sin has broken. It's like Jesus at the cross stood in the legal place of sinners. He brought the just punishment for your transgression of the perfect law of God. So now, what does this eating and drinking refers to? It refers to your faith. It refers to your trust in such sacrifice. And so therefore, yes, we can see the Lord's Supper reference here. Yes and no. Definitely we want to avoid the Catholics, okay? Who are emphasizing the Eucharist as a sort of uh, the Mass, as a source of spiritual life in and of itself. And that is not the case. And so let's continue in our text. Verse 54, 56. Jesus repeats these words. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Not only that, he has resurrection. I will raise him up on the last day. This is the real food, says Jesus. If you drink, then you are saved. Verse 57 says also that the secret recipe to this ingredient of this bread is that Jesus, the, bre in Jesus, the bread was broken at the cross. Look at that. Yes, so there's an element of trusting this Sacrifice, but also identifying yourself. So you die to self. And that just like Christ was resurrected, now you will live forever with Him in heaven. And just like the Father gives life, verse 57 says, and feed. So if we feed on, on, on Jesus' bread, which literally means to chew on the Son, that is the original word there, if you internalize Jesus, just like you would internalize bread, then you have eternal life by faith. That is the satisfaction of the soul that Christ's sacrifice provides. That you believe in the cross of Christ and His death on the cross for your sin. That is, friend, absolutely necessary for any true salvation. That you take Christ into your inner being. That His cross becomes part of you. His broken body, His blood shed, becomes in your DNA in some sense. Unless you digest the cross, friends, you cannot have eternal life. You can think and know facts or understanding of how Jesus saved, but that's the different thing than believing and embracing them and internalizing them. When you believe, you place your stake on Jesus and His cross as if you, if you, if you would die without Him. And there you receive truly the gift of salvation. And this believing, friends, is intrinsically personal. No one can believe or eat that bread in your place. No one can believe in your behalf. Further, there is no other life found in the entire world for sinners that don't find their nourishment from this sacrifice on the cross. There is no other way. But there's another dimension here involves, as I said, true discipleship. And that comes later in the gospel in chapter 11, 25. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
that when you, yes, have truly placed your stake on the death of Christ, that real faith unites you to the closest possible bond with the Savior. That's how intimate it is. That this drinking and eating from Christ's sacrifice, it implies also your readiness to accept pain and sacrifice, willingness to embrace death even. That you're identified, made, conformed with Christ's suffering. So you take your cross and follow Him. Just like you eat bread daily, so your faith in Christ's sacrifice has a dedication to follow Christ by taking your cross. And that is a daily act of the true believer. It should be felt in our lives. And the problem, friends, is these crowds in the synagogue, they claim to believe in Jesus up to this point. We'll see next Sunday they all leave. But they claim to follow Jesus, but they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus' cross. They don't want to have anything to do with the fact that this cross relates to your sin, by the way. And it pushes you now to turn away from your sin. And to then, secondly, they don't want to have anything to do with the cost of following Jesus. Which means you lose your life. That if you try to keep your life, you lose it. But, but the true follower says, I'm losing everything and I follow Christ. Now this was a long ingredient list, I know. But it was needed. Let's go to the second point. How does the eating of the bread works? And there are listed several texts for you, several verses in this sermon. And let me boil it down to this, that the way you eat this bread and have eternal life is by faith. I already said that verse 28 says, here's the crowds in the synagogues. What, what shall we do? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? It's like a lawyer that puts Jesus to the test in, in Luke Gospel, chapter 10, verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life. First thing you notice there is that this crowd, churchgoers in the synagogue, are so self-righteous as they approach Jesus. It's all about what they have to do. It's about the day, their good works and going to church, being a good citizen, helping others or what have you, so that I can earn God's favor. Jesus dismisses their whole attitude and says, this is the work of God. Believe in whom the Father sent have you ever watched those videos of people who get their loan forgiven? They ask, what do I owe? And they say, nothing, your debt is canceled. And you look at their face, they barely can believe their ears. And John elsewhere in his epistle says in 1 John 3, 25, he puts it in a form of a commandment. You are ordered to believe. This is the commandment that I, we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That there's no other things, just believe me. Place your entire confidence in the redemptive power of my death and resurrection. And that fulfills, friend, all the requirements from God. That's what gains God's favor for a broken, sinful humanity that cannot do and work anything. You come empty hand and stretch out by faith and not by works. As we'll see our last point. However, this faith is also a gift from God. That God has to grant it to you. It's not a work. It's out of His sovereign choice. Verse 40. Here's the sum of this whole thing. Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him has everlasting life. That, that's how you eat this bread. Believe. You see the Son. You believe. You have everlasting life. This, this life that the bread gives actually goes beyond this life to the next through the resurrection. He raises you up on the last day. Verse 47 gives us the, the gospel promise repeated. You believe 
and you have everlasting life. That, that means through a continuous activity of believing, but also a necessary activity without which you cannot see everlasting life. And in the presence, you already have eternal life. You already have immortality. You, you never see death. Verse 58, the promise is repeated again. He eats his bread unlike Israel in the wilderness. Remember, Israel in the wilderness. They all died in unbelief. And they didn't see the promised land. But if you eat my bread, Jesus says, you live forever. That's why on an open loaf does a person no good. And the question is, have you received the bread? Have you received God's forgiveness, friends? The best work that any of us can do is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. That when people hear the word work, you think that you have to work for, for your eternal life through legalistic man-made religious rules. I know that some churches around here, you know, even getting baptized becomes a condition to be saved, which is wrong. Friend, is faith a work? According to our text, even believing Jesus is not a work. It's, it's actually resting in the finished work of Christ at the cross on your behalf. And when I ask people, why would God let you go into heaven? I know many say, well, I'm trying to be my best to be a good person. I mean, I go to church, I, I tithe, and I, I try to help people. I, I'm good. And also, look, I never did any blatant sin like these other people did. Friend, what you're saying is saying, God, I'm working on it. I haven't found a secret recipe, of, but I'm working on it. It's about what I'm doing. Whereas the true gospel says, Jesus did it. That Jesus worked in your place. He was obedient for all of his life. He never told a lie. He never did anything wrong. But if you seek to earn your way to heaven, you miss the point here. Just like the crowds. Christ comes down from heaven, satisfies your hunger for righteousness, not through your righteousness, but through giving His righteousness to you. That we have no righteousness of our own. And you rejoice in the gospel. And friend, a, a confusion of the relationship between the law and the gospel is what hinders true conversions in the crowd. They think that some work ethic will get them into heaven. That work ethic is now a requirement of our salvation. In fact, it becomes an hindrance. Just believe in what the Son has done. In fact, it's like just like swallowing this bread is more than a mental equation, okay? That belief is not just okay. I, I know that these facts are true about Jesus. It's a matter of the will. That you respond to the invitation of Christ. You place faith without reserve in what He says. And it accomplished for you living a perfect life in your place. Dying on the cross for your sins. And being raised for your justification. Other people look at a, other Christians and say, Well, I'm not as worthy enough for God. I'm not as good as they are. As if they need to satisfy God's justice by their own works. Getting their acts together on their own before they can even come to Christ. Friend, this all is backward and missing the point. All that is required of you is to be saved. Is to believe that if you believe, then you will have already eternal life. And you will one day rise from the dead like Jesus. But here's the obstacle in our text. Let's look at our text. And the third point that I see is there is the vomiting of the bread. We saw the ingredient. We saw how you eat the bread. But there's also a vomiting here. When you refuse to believe, it leads you to eternal judgment. That you die by unbelief. That is what verse 26 is after here. Most assuredly, Jesus says, which means there's a moment of truth. 
I told you this sermon. Let's now apply this sermon to the actual hearer here in the synagogue at Capernaum. Notice first, Jesus doesn't answer their, their curiosity. He says, how did you get here in Capernaum? He doesn't want that. He says, you seek me. You're looking for me not because of the signs. Not because of the miracles that I did, which would already be wrong as we saw weeks ago. Because you are not actually trusting in Christ through those signs. But it's even worse in their case. You are seeking me because you ate and are filled. You had your belly full. You had all the bread you wanted. Now your stomach grumbles again. Perhaps you want more miracles from Jesus. You want more food. All they care, even by going to church, okay, they're going to the synagogue. They claim to follow Jesus. But why? Because of the material benefits that come from, from that. Yes, Jesus promised that those who hunger for righteousness shall be filled. But the crowd here has only eyes to the perishable food. This is a double insult to them, okay? It's a... It's already bad to be fascinated by miracles. We saw that last time. And you fail to believe in the message. But here, it's, it's like comparing them to brute beasts. It's like you guys are pigs without mind. You're driven only by the stomach. That the ultimate motivation of following Jesus is so that you can fill your belly. And so Jesus here, he urges them here, do not labor. Verse 27, do not labor for the, for the food that perishes. And that, that, that's the same word, work which is in tune with their question, right? Work refers to how you spend your energy the most in your life, what you are concerned with and driven through. Jesus is almost telling them to stop focus of what ultimately lead only to waste. The food that perishes. Every food spoils. Every food goes bad and fairly quickly. It's normal for bread to, after a while, to rotten and decompose. And even if eaten, sooner or later, it goes to the toilet. So no matter how big a food pantry you can have, no matter how much stuff you can uh, lay for yourself, sooner or later, he will rot. Eating bread is soon forgotten, said John Trapp. Man, I'm telling you, even your work can become your life, idolatry. That you labor instead, Jesus says, for the, the food which endures for everlasting life. How long does bread, this kind of bread last? Forever. Because the Father sets His seal upon this bread. It's almost a authorized or certified type of bread that is heavenly. comes from heaven. And it never rottens. I mean, what could be better? We all hunger and thirst. I hope by now it's clear. And we all need to be filled. However, we can either eat the wrong kind of food. Like a, a stone instead of bread. Asking for lifeless things in your life to give you life. Or you can do things to get the spiritual food that is right food for the wrong motivation like the crowd here. They do come to Jesus, but they were following Jesus because he was a leader who could benefit them in a material sense. Friend, if all your strength is spent to meet your physical needs, your life will be wasted in the end. That no matter how good the meal is, no matter how much money you can make, at some point you will still be hungry for more. And the things that we assume give our life meaning are never good enough. That is all pointed to the fact that only Jesus can feed that hunger. There needs to be a change in priority in your life. That you must indeed fast from the wrong things that make you sick. Are you working, friend, for the food that endures forever? 
I know there's a lot of hard workers in our midst, and it's a good thing, but remember, just as eating the bread of idleness is a sin, but also being workaholic is a sin in the sense that when you become so consumed for the food that perishes, I got to get more land, I got to get more profit, I got to get more retirement or this and that, the spiritual food of God finds no place in your heart, in your diet. I know in the south here, food is very nice, tastes good, but you can keep it in your fridge and but remember, it's all temporary, okay? And gluttony for the food of the world, the desire for more stuff, and lust for the things of this life. I want to have a bigger house, a bigger truck, a bigger hobby, and a bigger entertainment. It lasts for a moment. It gives you pleasure for a second, but then it doesn't feed your soul. And now in verse 30, Jesus just told them, believe in Him. And what do they do? They put a requirement on all this thing. That, that, that is their unbelief. That is how they are vomiting the bread. They're saying... What sign? What work? Again, that word comes again. You do so that we may believe and see. Okay? Remember, Jesus has just multiplied bread for 5,000. And some of these people have seen it. And they're saying, they themselves says, Our fathers ate manna in the desert. After Jesus did exactly that, He fed 5,000. They have the guts to come up with that example. That is the measure of their unbelief. And blindness. They're asking Jesus to do something he already has done. And in verse 32, Jesus clarifies, It wasn't the Father who gave you that bread. It was, it was the Heavenly Father. It wasn't Moses that gives you better bread. But verse 36 says, here's their problem. You have seen me. Okay? You have seen me. And yes, you still do not believe. They have seen the miracle. They have seen Jesus face to face. They have listened to his word. And they still do not believe. In fact, verse 41 tells us that they marmel, grumble, complain. The, that same word is actually used in the Old Testament of Israel in the wilderness. They were complaining because they wanted better food. They wanted uh, some meat. And uh, that was the covetousness once again. The covetousness. They're coming to Jesus because they want more food. They want the physical things. But they're not trusting in God. They're not truly trusting in the word of Jesus. And they complain about this, I am the bread of life. Just like the forefathers in Numbers complained. Because they wanted the fish and the cucumbers and the onions and the garlics that they ate in Egypt. That shows you that their role in the story is the, they're unbelievers. Yes, they are claiming to be believers, but they're not. They're a mixed multitude, just like the Israel in the wilderness. In fact, verse 42, the, the, the unbelief continues and their vomiting continues. This, is, this man is the son of Joseph. He, how can he expect us to believe him? He's just, he's just a man. But verse 49 tells us that Jesus' bread is better than a manna from heaven because he grants those who eat to never die. However, these people like Israel in the wilderness, they will die in their unbelief. Precisely because they ate the bread Jesus multiplied for them. And they still fail to believe. They still complain and doubt despite the miracle right in their face. Verse 52 tells us that they quarrel. Their reaction to Jesus' words gets more and more heated. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? I mean, it's offensive to them what Jesus is uh, It's like cannibalism. You're asking us to be cannibals and now eat your flesh. That's why early Christians, you must know, they were slandered by the pagans to be cannibals. That's what they told about. 
I, I read books today even among uh, secular writers that they say, you know, Christianity is just cannibalism because of these words. But that's what happened, friends. When you look at Christianity without faith, that also in verse 60, and we'll see next Sunday, unbelief, unwillingness to embrace sacrifice ultimately leads them to abandon following Jesus. They will abandon Jesus. That's why J.C. Ryle says, It is want of heart, not want of evidence, that keeps people from coming to Christ. That ultimately there's something at the root of their unbelief. That the gospel looks like foolishness to the unbelieving world. That the cross is an object of contempt to them. That they look at the cross in doubt and proud defiance. They stand over God and says, God, prove yourself to me. Atheists, they grumble against God. This message doesn't fit their structure. Was it plausible? It's too radical for them. It doesn't find ground in them. They don't understand their sin. That is the, the root of the problem. And how they are a barrier to believe. It sounds cruel to them, the cross, doesn't it? That the father would crush his son on the cross and they consider an irrational things. I, I often hear unbelievers. I was watching a video this week. They blame the hypocrisy among professing Christians to justify their lack of faith in God and in the Bible. That is the standard answer they give you. Just like here the crowd does with Jesus. They don't realize that God will soon judge them. Just like we saw the Sunday school this morning on Sunday, Sodom and Gomorrah. And He will call to account the unrepentant unbelief of every single man on earth. That they, There is a prize for defying God, okay? That unless sinners feed upon Christ, nothing but eternal death awaits them. They can eat the bread that we were about to eat, but they will still perish in their sin. In fact, accumulate more judge them, uh, judgment upon their shoulders because of their unbelief. It's sad when people are exposed to the truth of God's word. And the more they're exposed, the more they reject it. Like the crowds here. The more they fight against it. The more they quarrel about it. The more they vomit it all out with their words. And behind these crowds is the world out there, friend. That mocks the gospel. That snurs at Christians and ultimately murmurs against God. But why? Why is it so? And that is our last point what is the cause for vomiting the bread? And that is the remaining verses there listed. And we can boil them down to this, that even unbelief is only made possible, just like unbelief is possible because of God's sovereignty, even belief is only made possible through God's sovereign election. In other words, let me explain it this way. The ultimate reason the crowds reject Christ's message it's not because Jesus is not persuasive to them. It's because they are not among the chosen. Verse 37 tells us that election is sure. God's calling is irresistible. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. That is as, as sure as, as heaven and earth. And there is a promise also. That if you come to me, by no means you will be cast out. Okay? There is a double negation there. That just like in, in Numbers, Israel in the wilderness says, By no means I will clear the guilty. Here the gospel promises that God will receive you. If you truly come to Him in faith, He will never cast you out. He will never reject you. That means that every single one who comes with a genuine in, in, intent to trust in Christ, Jesus will accept them. 
Jesus will welcome them. I love the lyrics of this hymn that says that the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell shall endeavor to shake, I will never, no, never forsake. He will never eject anyone who comes running to Christ, thinks about the prodigal son. He has wasted all that the father had given him. And yet he runs. And what does the father do? He welcomes him. He runs toward him. And he forgives him. It is indeed true that it is only, however, as this text says, the sovereign predestination from God that you can actually come from God. That God's elect shall surely come to Christ. However, such belief in predestination is not meant for you to now. Well, I'm not one of the elect and therefore, no matter what I'll do, he'll never receive me. No, friends, predestination is not meant to lead you into this introspection. You ask this or that question, you wonder if you're saved. Friend, let me remind you once again of this promise of our text. All you need to do is to come to Christ and he shall by no means cast you out. First of all, notice he commands you to come to him. He urges you to come to Him. And as He does so, He welcomes you heartily. Friend, you are laboring. You are heavy laden. You are trying to understand how to be truly saved. He accepts you. There's no mapping out of all the steps that are required for me to actually come to Christ. All you do is just run to Him with all your doubts, all of your troubles, all of your pains, all of your hurts. Draw near to God is the promise. And he will draw near to you. He will not cast you out if you come to him. That is the key that unlock the door that you're knocking, heaven's door. Once you're in Christ, he holds you and he won't let you go. Even just like the verses says, following verses 38 to 39, is the will of the Father that nothing, that I lose nothing or no one. The majority of ancient manuscripts says here that is None of these, that people's souls and not things are in view here, okay? And, and the promise is that the will of the Father is that He will lose not, no one. No single soul, not one of the elect, not everyone obviously, but those elect, those who are chosen all the way to their resurrection. That shows you how those Christians who say you can lose your salvation are flat wrong. According to these verses, the eternal security of the true believers... That once you're saved, you're always saved. That what we call in theology, the perseverance of the believers. And providentially, Rick was alluding to this in the Sunday school. What does that mean? That whoever God truly regenerates, born again, will surely not be permitted to fall back into perdition. Okay? You will be kept by the power of God all the way to glory. Now this doesn't preclude that there will be setbacks. But if you're a true believer, chastisement comes and restoration comes. That you don't remain lost for 10 and 20 years of your life. And before that, you have said, oh, I, 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 I went to the altar. I, 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 I did believe. But then the rest of your life is like, no, friend. If you're truly saved, you will save till the end. That ultimately God saves you to the uttermost. And friend, notice in our text, it's from the Father. It doesn't depend on your feeble holding on to Jesus. That is the beauty of it, that we're safe in His arm because the Father does not want to lose a single one of His true children. Verse 44 says that, that the key verse of why the crowds, they cannot believe. What is the key reason of their unbelief? 
No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. No one is able even to or possess the capability or the power through his own resources to come to Jesus Christ. Friends, we're not in charge of this, even what leads to salvation, let alone salvation. Unless the Father draws you, that is the condition. The Father has to attract you and He has to implant you the desire to even come to Christ. That will lead you to be raised up on the last day. That is why the people that den deny, Christians who deny predestination, I mean, they just need to read John 6, don't they? Just like for us as human, God's love is special, so it is for God. However, there's something that is unlike us in God, that He sovereignly, His sovereignty is over everything. And this doesn't mean that God is unfair, by the way. Sinners are still responsible for the blind rejection of Christ. These crowds here in our text are responsible for, for their failing. But God has to still draw sinners. And while God draws them, sinners are still called to come to Him. Yes. Many are called to eat the bread of life, but few among the crowds are actually chosen. Few understand and truly feed on Christ to have life. We'll see next time, even among the twelve, even among those who will eat the bread and dip the morsel, one was actually not chosen. It was a reprobate, Judas Iscariot. And again, let me remind you this morning, we take the Lord's Supper. Examine yourself if you are in the faith. Turn and repent from your sin and trust in Christ first. That is far more important. This shows our God's judgment of, over the reprobates is just, that the, their unbelief is the, in the face of God's word, as we saw today. That Jesus announces to them this sermon, and it is confirmed also by the undeniable miracle. He fed them. He fed them from heaven. They have no excuse in the end. And let us conclude with uh, verse 45 and 46. You may wonder why. Now Jesus quotes now, and they all shall be taught of God. And that is from the Old Testament, Isaiah 54. There's, let me put it this way, there's debates in, in the academia whether education should be for everyone, right? Some socialist country wants everyone to have education, and that's wrong. But here, in one sense, Jesus gives everyone a universal education without any cost. How is that possible? That through the Holy Spirit, it makes you understand that the things freely given to us by God. Christ essentially is the true teacher here. We have a new and better covenant, okay? And it feels, fulfills the, 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 the expectation of the Old Testament that all shall know me. That if you are in Christ, you shall know me from the least to the greatest. That's why our church, we do want to uphold as much as possible the principle that you must be regenerate before you become a member of this church. In other words, that you have a credible profession of faith. And the, the goal for this is not legalism. It's so that the church on earth looks as much as possible as the true church in heaven. That is the reason. Sadly, not identical. There will always be a Judas, right? We see in our text today. But if you are true students of Christ, you listen to Jesus. And uh, how, do we, how do we conclude here, friends, as we looked at this long sermon of Jesus? I am the bread of life. I know there's almost lunchtime, so perhaps you're getting hungry. And let me move as we are about to celebrate this Lord's Supper, exhorting you to consider this better bread that comes out of heaven.
Jesus Christ. We often pray, give us our daily bread, yet man does not live by bread alone. No, both of these statements are true. God makes you to hunger until your hunger can be satisfied only in Jesus Christ. That comes, first of all, realizing that your soul is starving. That you can find no, no other nourishment until you feast on this better food that is Christ Himself. That bread that gives life is Jesus. We saw the ingredient of this bread that are able to satisfy your true-seated spiritual hunger. That gives you more than temporary relief, but a true lasting life. And it's all because of the bread was broken for you at the cross. That is, you now eat that sacrifice by faith. That 2,000 years ago, not because anything changes in these elements. Not because they're actual. The body of Christ is in heaven now. But because you trust in what He did for you 2,000 years ago. And you internalize it by faith. Even the sufferings that are included in it. You follow Him in a life that is shaped by the shape of the cross. So if you want to have eternal life, believe in Him. Don't seek other foods and then these foods don't last. Don't seek any other substitute bread to get God to like you. Through your works, through your efforts. Or worse, you remain in your unbelief like the dog that goes back to his vomit in our story. These crowds who are coming to the synagogue and they're listening but they, they're saying this doesn't make sense. And they remain in their unbelief. It's also true ultimately as we saw today that only God can open your eyes to this need. That ultimately is the Father will. And if He does, you rest assured on the promise that know that if you come to Him, no one shall cast you out. And He will keep you until the end. Friend, are you hungry? Come and eat from Jesus. Swallow by faith His sacrifice for you and live daily through the food that He gives you in His Word. Let us pray.